Let's pray. Father God, thank you your word is living, active and sharper than a double-edged sword. Please cut deeply into our hearts and minds and give us grace to embrace further light from your word. Amen. Be seated. There's a little bit of local church culture, <laughs> who sits or who stands. <laughs> I'd like you to cast your, your mind back to the death of George Floyd in the USA and the Black Lives Matter movement which sprang from it. Are, are you there? The news is fast moving, isn't it? Shortly after that, the Black Lives, movement, Black Lives Matter movement in London held a, 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 a rally, and there were significant numbers of the EDL, English Defence League, at the same venue, and it got nasty, and the police were trying to keep them apart. And a white guy went down and was in danger of being seriously injured, an EDL guy. And a burly black guy called Patrick Hutchinson, who's a personal trainer, carried the EDL supporter to safety. Um, do you remember? Um, and people were totally baffled by what he'd done, but began to applaud as he delivered the white guy over into the care of the police. The media dubbed Patrick Hutchinson a good Samaritan. So my question this morning, as a way in to this story uh, Ollie's just read, and I hope that didn't... Uh, kind of suck you into a sense of false security, because it's so well known. This story is like the tip of an iceberg. Any young people know how, what percentage is above the water of an iceberg? Tell the people on the Titanic. 10% above the surface, 90% beneath the surface, and the parable, the story of the Good Samaritan is like an iceberg. The parable is the tip of a monolithic base, deep structure, back story. So my question is, why is this story told by Jesus in the first century still being referred to by the media in the 21st? century. Perhaps it's because the Good Samaritan is an icon of the timeless golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And it's a natural law, even in a broken and messed up world of decency 
and doing the right thing. It's a natural law written into the human heart, I believe, by the Creator. No one religion holds the copyright to that verse, Matthew 7, 12, do to others as you'd have them do to you. Christianity doesn't hold the copyright. No religion holds the copyright on random acts of kindness. But in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus is celebrating this truth, timeless truth. The surface meaning, do the loving thing, 10%. The 90% lies beneath the surface, and it's to do with the people Jesus was originally talking to. The deeper aspect underneath the surface is the message of the Bible itself in, enti in its entirety. It's as big as that. So if we can change frame, please. The backstory to the parable is the plot of the Bible. Change, please. I'm not seeing it. Oh, it's here. <laughs> Hiding, thank you. God called a man, Abraham, to create a people, the ancient Jews, to give birth to Messiah, Jesus, to bless the world. That is the plot of the Bible. It's a master plan. And it's the master plan, it's the intention behind God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3, that all peoples, all ethnes, as we saw earlier, all ethnic groups on earth will be blessed through your descendants, Abraham. That's what God promised him. And with a promise, it's a, 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 a divulging of an intention, isn't it? If you make a promise, you intend to see that happen. And the problem was that this promise, this statement of intent had become blocked through history. So it said, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And the Jews of Jesus' day had shrunk they had reduced the promise. So all peoples became reduced to Jews only. All peoples on earth had become reduced to the land of Israel. And then all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And the blessing was reduced from the reality of a life-giving relationship with God to religious legalism of the Jewish or Judaic kind. Are you with those three reductions? It's a reductionist way of viewing the Bible. 
And this is what Jesus is tackling by this parable. The reductionist tendency was summed up by this expert in the law, verse 25, who asked the question. It boils down to one question. Who is my neighbor? And that goes all the way back to Genesis. Cain and Abel, am I my brother's keeper? What's it got to do with me? Who is my neighbor? And for this expert in the law, he, he was looking for ethnic Jew only. He wanted Jesus to agree with him. My neighbor is an ethnic Jew. My neighbor is a resident of Israel. My neighbor is devout in his practice of Judaism. And he wants Jesus to join him in this reduction. But rather than Jesus affirming to him, your neighbor is only somebody like you, Jesus' answer is, your neighbor is anyone. We have to get to grips with three kinds of neighbors. There are close neighbors down the road or across the road who may be other. Then there are near neighbors who may be across the city who are other. And there are far neighbors those across the world who may be fleeing persecution and violence, who are other. So if we can change the slide. Jesus is sending out, sending us out to be as wise as serpents, in these three categories, and as harmless as doves. And I just want to, if I could, hug that couple of Anglicans in Liverpool who looked after Edzo and took him in. Did what Jesus is talking about. There is no caveat that it might not cost us. There is no caveat that it may not be reciprocated. This is powerful stuff. And Jesus is insisting that your neighbor is anyone, regardless of culture, color, class, creed. And so the hero of the story, I don't know if you've noticed, it's so hard to bring to bear on, on our Western ears the power in this parable. It, it is atomically charged. I can't think of words to describe the shock that it would have caused when he first, the Lord first gave it. The hero is a non-Jew 
with a dodgy understanding of the Jewish Bible, yet he is the one who reflects the heart of God more accurately than a devout Jew. And like a, a, a composer, Jesus is effectively bringing a new arrangement of the law of Moses. He's, he's setting it in a different tune, a different, to a different tune and a different tempo. And the Good Samaritan actually embodies the words of the prophet Micah, Micah 6.8. God has told you what is good and what the Lord requires of you. It's to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Next slide. So just a little bit about the story before we uh, wind up. God's original promise to Abraham is to remedy all lostness, blessing to every family on earth that they should be found and blessed. It's a, a recipe for lostness. And Jesus came, Luke 19, 20. Jesus came with the mission, self-avowed mission. I am come to seek and to save, to salvage the lost. And so Jesus told a series of lost and found uh, stories. Had you noticed them? The lost sheep and a good shepherd. Luke 15, the lost coin and a good woman, also back end of, of Luke 15, the lost son and a good father, Luke 15 again, and the lost Jew and a good Samaritan, Luke 10. It's a suite of stories with the same message. And next slide. The characters, there are five. It's 196 words. It's, it's shorter than some jokes. 196 words, and there are five players in it. Number one, the victim, he's unclothed. Do you know why? Because his clothes would give him away. We don't know if he was a Jew or not, but people assume he was. And that's the point. Then the priest and the Levite, they were restrained by the Bible itself from helping. The law of Moses taken to the letter so that the, the scripture itself could, can, could be and can be used today in a way that obstructs mercy, obstructs it with a biblical basis. Rather than being a vehicle for releasing God's heart, releasing God's mercy, and being part of his master plan. And that's why the Samaritan is such shock horror. He's driven by compassion. 
33. It's a deep word which means gut-wrenching pity. He was emotionally affected by what he saw. Now, the, the Samaritans had a, a hybrid version of Judaism. So the, the same rules applied about coming near to touch a non-Samaritan, uh, to touch the dead, and the, the guy that he went to could have been dead, so you couldn't touch a corpse, etc. So there were the similar constraints. But he walked to the victim on his donkey like a servant. The one walking is the servant. The one on the donkey is more important than the one walking. That's what the Samaritan did. He was on Jewish turf, and the nearest I can think of today is I was in Belfast uh, on Thursday, Friday. The nearest I can think of he was a Protestant doing this in a Catholic area, or vice versa. Hello. What he did was in a Jewish area, he could have been accused of the attack himself. And then why didn't he just dump this victim on the edge of the nearest village and walk away? He checks the victim into the local travel lodge and expected to get out of the town without being attacked himself. And get this, he pays two denarii for the victim. It's enough in today's money for a 24-day stay in a B&B. Jesus is laying it on. So, did this story really happen? <laughs> we don't know. It could have done. The Samaritan people are real. I visited in their villages in Israel today. The location is Wadi Kelt, which is a steep, 30-mile meandering road from Jerusalem which sits at two and a half thousand feet above sea level, and it meanders down to Jericho, which is 2,200 feet below sea level. It was also uh, covered with dense trees in Jesus' time, and it, so it was a crime hotspot. And so anyone traveling that road alone, <laughs> we have words today, but let's just call him a foolish traveler. Or if you're from Nottingham where I am, you're a daft bat. <laughs> and I hope we're on the next slide. Yes. <laughs> Who are the, these Samaritans? Very quickly. You can go to 2 Kings 17 to find out that they were imported from Babylon, Iraq. And they were artificially moved into the north of Israel where they intermarried um, and formed a hybrid culture of Judaism, a hybrid form of Jewish faith, which uh, the Samaritans embraced the Torah uh, and so on. But the interesting thing is, I'm, re I'm researching for a book on this whole issue, 
Um, modern DNA is now serving as a track and trace system for whatever happened to that lost tribe, 10 tribes of Israel. Hello. And where Abraham's DNA went through Ishmael and Isaac. And here in this situation, people carrying Ishmael's DNA in Iraq came over to Israel, intermarried with Isaac's DNA through you, all families of the earth. You with me? And some aspect of this master plan was going on in the heart of God. And since then, he's used both sides um, in different ways internationally. It's a bit, that movement is a bit like the British government who gave out British passports to Mirpuri Pakistanis, the Pakistanis from the Mirpur Valley in the days of the Raj. And the British Empire wanted to flood the Mirpur Valley to make a hydro dam for electricity. So they gave passports in exchange for homes and the right of abode in the UK. This is how the Mirpuri Pakistani community first came to Britain. And it's amazing how God works through human history, politics, movements of people. 80% of British Muslims are Mirpuri. But meanwhile, back with the Samaritans, even the Jewish Mishnah, the commentary, uh, their commentary on the Torah, even the Jewish Mishnah says to eat the bread of a Samaritan is like eating the flesh of a pig. Which is something of the background behind John 4, verse 9, where he suddenly gets very British understatement, and John says, for Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Well, there's an understatement. Next slide. Samaritans are gateway people. Um, Jews may have had nothing to do with Samaritans, but Jesus did. All the time. Luke um, had a picture of, oh yeah, these are a couple of pictures of modern Samaritans, just so that you know they're alive and well. Yeah? Next frame. By the, oh yeah, go on then. No, keep with the other picture, it's nicer. Okay. Um, Luke 9. James and John want to call down fire on a Samaritan village because they would not, they rejected Jesus. And Jesus did what? He rebuked them. He was annoyed. 
Luke 17, when Jesus healed 10 leprosy sufferers, only one came back to say thank you, and he was, drumroll, a Samaritan. The woman at the well, one of my favorite passages, John chapter 4. That well was in Sichar, Sychar, which is modern Nablus. Nablus, Israel, Nablus, it's been in the news. Nablus, PLO, and you name it, Nablus. That's Sychar. That is the heartland of the Samaritan people. Next slide. They are a gateway people. Um, for, uh, for Jews, Samaritans were a stumbling block, but for Jesus, they were a stepping stone. They, uh, they were a racial interpeople with mixed DNA heritage. They were a religious interpeople, a hybrid of Judaism. They were a strategic into people, part of the divine master plan to bless all nations. I'm just a bit concerned about time, Ollie. I'm struggling. Are you guys okay? Yeah. Pass out if you're bored. It's all right. But good. <laughs> Amen, brother. Um, with what I've said so far, you need to link that with the fact, and I'm standing with Patrick Johnston here, who was also the WEC. Today, more Jews and Muslims are embracing Jesus as Messiah than at any time in history. There's something going on which it needs more people like myself in platforms to pass on because the news people uh, are not getting it as to what's going on. And the places where most Muslims are coming from, including Iran, are places of the dispersion of the Jews. And it's all tied together. Um, next frame. I think, um, oh no, leave it with that one, we'll be all right. The Great Commission of Christ is the final phase of this master plan for the blessing to be taken to all nations. You will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts 1.8. That's familiar, isn't it? Had you ever noticed that it doesn't say then, it says and. Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is not consecutive, this, then, that, then, that. No. It's this and that and that simultaneous. And I've been encouraged and helped by looking and, and, and interacting with Ollie about the activities going on from this church. 
because a balanced local church mission strategy ensures engagement locally in Jerusalem, our Jerusalem, regionally, our uh, um, Samaria, and nationally and globally. And I've noted that you can break down your activities. Urban life is local. The Sheffield work is regional. Street pastors are national. Kosovo, Bosnia, Kenya are global. And in for good measure are the Samaritans of Britain, the Muslims. They are the modern Samaritans with a hybrid of Christianity and Judaism. Islam is a hybrid, first mostly of Judaism, but also some Christianity thrown in. So the punchline for us to finish on today is Christianity is Judaism to go. To go and do likewise. To pray, to give, to go in order to do the loving thing, doing justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly by word and action. God bless you all.